Hello and welcome to the Jonesing for Sports podcast, the ultimate podcast for Michigan sports, both college and pro. I'm your co-host, Cody, joined by my two brothers, Travis here on my left and Brandon on the other screen. Today, we're going to be unpacking our thoughts on the Detroit Lions season so far. Was the match against the Chiefs or the Seahawks a better forecast of what's to come this year? Then we'll dissect the recent Michigan Wolverines game against Bowling Green. Was this a bombshell performance or just a minor blip on the radar? And finally, we'll provide some thoughts on the unfortunate situation unraveling with MSU football. We've got a lot to cover today, so thanks for joining us, and let's dive in. Welcome to the Jonesing for Sports podcast. I love not having to do intros. I'm thankful for you, Code. (laughs) You know, it was a... really really tough at the start um i had no idea how to make an intro but i feel like it gets easier the more that you do it i remember we used to sit waiting for you to think out your intros and they were always really good so it was worth it (laughs) they were probably actually better back then because you guys would just be like cody intro go and i would just sit there like "Ah, (laughs) we're gonna talk sports (laughs) we used to uh like hit redo on some intros haven't done that in forever. Sometimes. Well, also but sometimes the- <laughs> you'd ask us to, and I'd say, no. <laughs> exactly. Can we run that back? No. 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 Nope. Loved it. perfect. Because <laughs> yeah, it wasn't you. You don't have to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, I kind of do, because I would add mm-hmm. to edit it. <laughs> That's fair. No, the people love it, Code. I should probably just add something super vulgar and awful to the end of those bad takes, so that way you have to let me redo it. <laughs> Yeah, joke's on you, still putting it in. (laughs) You probably would. (laughs) Uh, Well, where do we want to get started today? Uh, We've got pretty much Michigan, like you said, Michigan Lions and a little bit of drama in East Lansing. Uh, But before we get into that, any quick shower thoughts? How you guys been before we dive head first? Oh, I had a really good one, but I hadn't been thinking about it. Now I'm going to be upset. I pulled an autograph uh, Miguel Cabrera card the other day. Can confirm. It was awesome. Uh, my friend Jaron, shout out to you. He asked me months ago, maybe seven months ago, he said, hey, I got this box of cards here. You want me to buy it? And I said, yep, grab it for me. And <laughs> I totally forgot. And then at the Michigan game, uh, he's like, hey, I got a bunch of stuff for you in my car. He had a bunch of old books that the school was getting rid of. And then he also had this box of baseball cards. And in it was just the greatest surprise of that Miguel Cabrera card. Loved it. So shout out to Jaron. Thanks, man. I was meaning to ask you, uh, at being at your house this past weekend, are all those boxes on your table, are those unopened or opened? <laughs> those are opened. So okay. those boxes are empty. I just I kind of like the idea of keeping those boxes. So you should see the closet in my office. I have just a shelf full of empty card boxes. <laughs> it looks a little bit like a hoarder's closet, but I I just like the idea of if ever I get into card breaking uh for YouTube or whatnot that I have those as backdrop material. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. I have a random question. If you could pick one thing that was like really cool when we were younger to never have gone out of style, like you are you're saving this throughout time, what would it be? So like for instance, I might think of like Beyblades. If I could keep <laughs> Beyblades around, like if 
it would be perfectly not just normal but accepted in society for adults to just walk around with at least an offensive and a defensive Beyblade just ready to go, <laughs> and you're just ripping those off in the office. I think that'd be awesome. That's a good answer. You just challenge people. Yeah. And that's probably how we should determine like the hierarchy in society as well, is like who is the <laughs> successful Beyblade players. Um, Something to think about. Me and our cousin Jordan, we had these shoes that had pop-out wheels. You hit these buttons, mm. and they turned into rollerblades. They were like the precursors to wheelies. The Heelys. Heelys. But these weren't just Heelys. They had two sets of wheels, so they were full-blown rollerblades. Uh, had them in like maybe fourth grade. And I see why they didn't work, because those wheels just pop right up into the heel and in the sole of the shoe. Huge sole, but also there's this cavity where those wheels are sitting. If you step in anything, it is horrible. I don't remember if it was me or Jordan, but in fourth grade, everyone was like, what is that smell? Oh, no. <laughs> One of us just, <laughs> the heel of that shoe where those wheels are, just a whole dog turd can fit up in there. <laughs> So maybe that's why they went out of style, but imagine if we had a society where everyone just wheeled around everywhere, walking down the city streets and everyone's just rolling. Mm. When you're talking about uh, not Heelys, but the the precursor to Heelys, it's when you know you're pretty old. <laughs> <laughs> mm. yep. uh, to answer your question, Cody, I think I'll say Christian Rock. Uh, yeah. Answer. Was in its heyday when we were kind of coming up through school, and now it sucks. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I think I have a lot of great memories at festivals and concerts. Um, you know, now, nowadays kids aren't going to, like, a pro-life music fest and then getting into a mosh pit and getting blasted by a lead singer of a band of, who's a screamo band who's also a, a female. So those are <laughs> memories you don't forget. So... Uh, Wait, yeah. was that I'd you, Brand? Yeah, they they did. I don't know what they call it, like the death wall, when they like line up two sides and then have them run at each other. And uh, I was like 14, and this grown woman who is this, the lead singer for this band, who is a screamo, and she screamed really hard and was pretty intimidating. She like <laughs> locked eyes with me and pointed me across the way, and so I was like, all right, I can't back down. And we just sprinted at each other and blasted our bodies into each other, and uh, uh, that. That happened, yeah. I think that Death Wall was during the Flatfoot 56 concert. Yes. And you'll be happy to know that they still tour. And they they do a, quite a few shows with like the Chicago rugby team, like tailgate <laughs> shows. They at least did two this year. So they're still going strong. There's a, a few of those bands that are, are still going strong from, from the glory days. But, you know, it's just a handful where there used to be just an ocean of of uh, bands and artists that all were going that direction and there's a lot of good music there's probably still some good music now but it's just not not the same so did the christian rock artists fall off or did people just collectively decide they were too cool to keep having fun <laughs> i think that the money was elsewhere so i think all the artists went into like worship or just straight up alternative uh yeah like uh, Aaron Gillespie, who was a member of Under Oath, who formerly Christian band, and 
leader of um, the almost oh, the almost great band. He said in interviews that he wanted to make another like almost album, really wanted to, and thought he could do a really good one, but there just wasn't enough money in there. And so instead, he was putting out like contemporary kind of worship music, um, which is good, but. It also feels disingenuous a little bit when it's just <laughs> all the, the money's there. Worship. <laughs> so don't love that, but yeah. So I think that's probably a reason. Well, Brian, I think all the folks at home are begging to know when you body blasted against this female scream artist. Uh, did you win, or uh, I think did you come out mate. on the worst? At- okay. You yeah. got to remember, too, in those walls of death, there's like 30 people behind her, like right mm. behind her, also pushing. So Brady's not just pushing her. He might win yeah. that initial hit, but then that ricochet from everyone behind her, it's just... It, it was a precarious <laughs> situation because uh, while she was the screamo singer, she was also a petite person and, and pretty short, but had the intensity of a, a large man or maybe like a, a star. But um, <laughs> the thing is, I also didn't want to be the person who laid out the lead singer from that cool <laughs> band who was just on stage and everyone loved. So you had to find that happy medium. And I think I did. I mean, she hit me pretty good, but I absorbed the blow. And, uh, you know, they say low man wins. She was lower than I was, but uh, I didn't get blasted off my feet and I didn't take her out. Uh, so it was a win, and yeah, uh, I'd say that's I think a there was a, a mutual respect after, you know, like two bull elephants just locking tusks and then saying, you know what, I'll catch you next time. <laughs> I love that. Uh, the, the genre that is still fairly strong, um, I, I took Cody with me one time, is the more hardcore rock now. It's still thriving. And Bran, if you are fishing for that feeling of just clobbering a female screamer in a mosh pit, we'll find a concert and we'll go. <laughs> I took Cody to an under oath and dance Gavin dance concert. Good time, wasn't it? Was also was a Rainbow Kitten surprise also there? <laughs> no, I don't think okay. they were there. Okay, that would have been awesome. <laughs> Brandon would have got down with that. I know yeah. Brandon gets down that, with some Rainbow. That Kitten was surprise. a fun time. This sounds. More my speed, yeah. No, I, I don't think I could handle a mosh Uh-oh. pit at, at my advanced age now. I don't think I could bounce well, back the talking. same way. Okay, yeah, he is still talking. We f- You froze there for a while. <laughs> you did too. Yeah, okay. Well, okay. we'll make it work. Um, Rainbow Kitten Surprise shows up on the front line of a lot of festivals, so we might just need to take a festival trip at some point. I mean, if it's more like my speed of festival you know more like group love then i'm down i don't think i can handle the hardcore stuff i don't think it's all gonna be like that um but i think like the electric forest is something that would be like a headline that you'd like but also very much a lot of drugs and it's in michigan (laughs) so if you're into that sort of thing (laughs) that would be your perfect weekend you don't have to partake of that part (laughs) But Secondhand high is a myth. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't affect you, uh, really. Oh, uh, man. Well, 
code take us to uh, maybe what yeah. the people are here for? Yeah. So we all know that you guys are typically tuning into this pod to listen to us talk about Pokemon. Um, but, but, <laughs> but no, actually, uh, continue to fill our Discord, uh, particularly <laughs> the mailbox questions, the mailbag questions. We haven't received one of those in a minute. So we love to hear those, love to hear from you guys. But without any more of that content, we'll dive into the meat of what we are here to discuss tonight, starting off with the Lions. The Lions have had already in just two weeks quite a roller coaster of a season, starting off with a phenomenal and captivating win over the Kansas City Chiefs, defending Super Bowl champion, might I add, Kansas City Chiefs, and then suffering a heartbreaking loss to the Seattle Seahawks this week, um, also bookmarked by a whole slew of injuries as well. Guys, the one question that I have for you is, was our week one win or our week two loss against the Seahawks a better determinant, a better forecast of what's to come for the Lions this year? I just want to give you guys a a heads up. I'm feeling a little negative tonight, and so if you guys want to just like pump up the positive vibes to combat that, just feel free. Maybe go first. Um, It'll be prevalent. So... Disclaimer, take it away. Uh, you, you can't go first. <laughs> I think we need to end with you. With me? Because I'm also feeling a little negative. All right, let's get, oh, the, yeah, negative. Code. Yeah. Let's get the negatives out of the way, and then I'll, I'll bring us back. It has nothing to do with just my current vibe or life. It has everything to do with, you know, this past weekend uh, was an ugly weekend of sports in the NFL. A um, lot of bad injuries. Uh, mm. If you saw that Nick Chubb injury, that was that was a nightmare. Um, and the Lions got a lot of injuries too, to some pretty key pieces. We're talking, uh, you know, CJ Gardner Johnson looking like he's going to be out for the entire year. Uh, Vitae is going to miss some time. Not sure how long David Montgomery might be out. Um, who am I missing? Is also placed on the IR. Um, James Houston is gone now as well. Um, so now he'll never are- get to play more coverage snaps. Nope. Exactly. Um, so my one concern, <laughs> my one concern about the Lions this year, actually there are a couple. Um, you know, I always harp on the interior defensive line, but the other thing that I didn't love about this team going forward, the thing that gave me a little bit of hesitancy, was that those areas that we perceive as strengths were very, very shallow. The Lions, although we have a lot of talent, is not necessarily a very deep team, and. You know, if you're going to have a really successful season with a team that shallow, you have to get really lucky on the injury front. Sometimes you get that. Other times you get the San Francisco 49ers. And, man, if we are on pace um, to have this many injuries every game, I don't think that's going to be the case. But, man, we're looking like we could have a Niners type of season with the amount of players that we lost week two. That was so disheartening. Um, And that sucks. That sucks big time because we should be riding the high of beating the Kansas City Chiefs. That's what we should be able to be talking about, but we're not because I think week two changes a lot when you're looking at the immediate future of this team. All right, so I get to be negative next. Um, To answer (laughs) (laughs) uh, the original question, is week one or week two the bigger indicator of what is to come for the Lions? I'm going to cheat and say that I think both are a true indication in that. Yeah, shut up. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The reason I say that is I truly believe that the Lions are a good football team. 
Now, Cody mentioned some of the depth issues that are going to hold us back, but the the big issue is that they're not a great football team. And if you're a good football team, you're going to have, just like they had, a, a week where they're going to beat a team that you think, wow, that was a great win. And then the very next week where you're thinking you're feeling pretty good, they're going to have an inexplicable loss. And uh, like last year, they were actually pretty good. And then they'd have a loss like against the Panthers last year where it's like, wow, if we beat the Panthers, we go to the playoffs. Uh, there's going to be a few of those this year. And so I am very much am projecting that the Lions are going to get back on track and then they're going to fall off track. And it is frustrating because that's kind of where we live as Lions fans, where you know you can give up on the season at some points in September and October, and then all of a sudden they'll string together a couple wins in a row and you are right back in the Lions' grip because, hey, we might be in the playoff race. I think that's going to be the case because this is a good team. They have good players. Jared Goff is playing well. Amon Ross St. Brown is awesome. Uh, the thing is, is they're just not ready to jump to that next level of not losing games that they should win. They have to get there. That that Seahawks game was right there for the taking. The crowd advantage that they had at Ford Field should not have been squandered. That is a disservice to the, the fans at Ford Field who were as excited as they've ever been for Lions football. Uh, I just got to harp a little bit on the draft picks. I like all of the players that Brad Holmes picked. I think they're good players. Jameer Gibbs, we've seen him. He can be electric. He he touches. He's touched the ball like he's rushed the ball, I think, 14 times or something like that. I mean, if you're drafting him that high, why are you not giving him the ball? Uh, Sam Laporta looked awesome last week but you also know who looked awesome was the guy he replaced tj hawkinson who had two touchdowns and about the same amount of yards for the vikings you could say the same thing for the guy jameer gibbs replaced where deandre swift went for about 160 70 yards and two touchdowns for the eagles i just feel like we had that opportunity to make a huge jump with this draft and instead we released or traded players and then just signed or drafted their replacements instead of hitting some of our key weaknesses. The big guy that we all have talked about, Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter leads the league, or in leads in rookies for pass rush win rate. It's almost at 20%, which is insanity. And to have that coming from your interior would be so, so key for this team. As we saw, Gino was pretty comfortable. He could make a sandwich in the pocket. So that, that really hurts when you pass on him. Not only that, but you got a running back you're not giving the ball enough to. And if you would have kept your pick, if you really wanted a running back, Bijan Robinson is the second most uh, leading rusher in the league behind, I believe it's Christian McCaffrey. So Christian McCaffrey, Bijan Robinson. That's a pretty good company. And guess what? Who's below him? DeAndre Swift. So it's just, it's a good team. But they're not great. And I'm not saying they can't get there. Um, before I transition to Travis, I just want to ask you guys. I've seen a lot of flack for Dan Campbell for going for it on fourth down against the Seahawks. Did you guys have a problem with that play call? Or does it not bother you? Um, I'm going to take uh, your approach and refuse to answer the question in one cool. or two ways. Um, 
it's it's both. So, I mean, he is who we've thought he is the entire time. You know, he uh, he lets it all hang out. You know, he takes some gutsy moves. I don't think that's necessarily the way to go about it when you are defending a lead. That said, I don't think you should try and take your foot off the gas either. Um, like me personally, even if I'm trying to be a bit more aggressive in that moment, I thought, I don't know if I go for this one here. But I understand that's the way he does things. There was also a pass interference on that play that was not called. You cannot trip a wide receiver, even if it's accidental. So I I don't probably Spoiler give him. Alert, it's not accidental. That cornerback is looking to take out every receiver he got in contact with. Wait, wait, who was that? Witherspoon. It was Witherspoon. <laughs> The guy literally his whole his whole strategy is just get my body on the receiver and they're not going to call it every time. They'll call it once or twice, but if I do it 5 times, I'll get away with it the majority of the time. I didn't even realize it was Witherspoon. All the more reason I don't put as much blame on Campbell, but I I probably wouldn't do that myself. But I mean that doesn't mean much cuz this is with the benefit of hindsight. Just in the moment I thought that was probably not the right time to go for it. I don't think you have to go for it every time you have the opportunity. We know who Dan Campbell is, and more often than not, him going for that kind of stuff puts the Lions in a winning position. I like keeping the ball in your hands if you can control it. If you give it to the other team, who knows what's going to happen. Um, and in the NFL, everyone's a pro. Offenses can score. Um, it, I'm not saying Seattle's offense is elite by any means, but they got elite talent. I mean... DK Metcalf gets open as good as anybody, and he's just a freak. So you give the ball to the other team, I don't love your chances in that scenario. And I think that's what Dan Campbell thinks every game, is if we've got the ball and we got a chance to keep the ball and keep it out of our opponent's hands and win the game because of it, then he's going to go for it. And I'm okay with that. You're going to lose some because of that for sure. But you're going to win a lot, and we've seen him win. He beat Green Bay because he did that. He, uh, he beat... Last week, he beat the Chiefs because he went for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a perfect summation of the gulf and talent between our offense and our defense the past few years. We need to score and put as little pressure and faith into our defense as possible. Uh, that said, the fourth, fourth uh, down try that he succeeded against the Chiefs in week one, back in their own half, I think it was on like the twenty. Way ballsier than this one. Imagine if he and doesn't get that. If he doesn't get that, like they probably don't win that game. So yep. imagine um, how ticked we all are with Dan Campbell for going for it in his own twenty. Oh yeah, that looks way worse than than this one does. So I mean, in Dan Campbell, I still trust. Um, and you know, the law of averages, you can't get every single one. You're gonna lose some of them. That's just the way it works. Um, with how gutsy he's been, he does get him to go the majority of the time, like you said, Trav. So. I don't hate it. Yeah, it didn't bother me. I just saw most people seem like they were really upset about it. I thought, well, if you like it when it succeeds, you got to accept it when it doesn't because it won't succeed every time. So, all right, sounds like we're all on the same page there. Travis, tell us why uh, we need to think that the Lions are going to be A-OK. Well, a, f- a few a few answers to why the Lions are going to be A-OK. Bullet point A is that game was scripted, and I told you guys that before it happened. (laughs) You did. I told you guys Seattle is probably going to win this game 
it's perfect for the NFL if Seattle wins this game. Just like the Lions beating the Chiefs was perfect for the Chiefs in the NFL and their script. Now you can't say, oh, the NFL favors the Chiefs because week one the Lions beat them. Oh, well, same thing. Now the NFL doesn't favor the Lions anymore because <laughs> Seattle beat them at home. You know what? Now the Lions got a free road. Uh, they can go and keep doing, keep winning, uh, and the NFL can stay out of the way. There was three games this week that ended with non-called penalties, and the Lions was one of them. I think Seattle probably still gets in the end zone eventually on that drive, even if that hold was called. But maybe not. You don't know. And in overtime, don't get me started on NFL overtime rules. Terrible. It's just the worst overtime rules in all of sports. Um, but we're not. He- I'm not here to talk negative right now. <laughs> like you guys said, the Lions offense is really good. Um, just a mistake here or there away from winning that game. Against a, a, I think Seattle's a very good team. Um, they, the crowd, even with the Lions losing in that fashion, if that happened in the past, they are pissed they're out on the Lions. The, the, we're going to have Ford Field filled every week, no matter what. Uh, maybe not no matter what, but until this team sh- proves that they really aren't it. Like you said, Brand, this team is a good team. And my bullet point number two is in our conference, I don't think there's a great team. People are with thought, <laughs> idiots thought the Bears were going to be great. Some people <laughs> had them winning 12 games, like Cody said, like last week. That's stupid. Uh, Green Disclaimer. Bay- I didn't say they'd win 12. I said people yeah, were saying that, that they would win 12, that's just in case there was any confusion there. I hate the Bears. <laughs> the Bears suck. Uh, the Green Bay Packers are 2-0, and and maybe they're going to do the Green Bay Packers thing and have the next great quarterback in Jordan Love. I don't buy it yet. Uh, they had Aaron Rodgers last year, and the Lions went into Lambeau last game of the year and beat them. I'm not worried about that yet. I still think – and the Vikings are coming out of the gate struggling. I mean – Kirk Cousins is on pace for like 6,000 yards and 50 touchdowns, but they're on pace to also go 0-17. So interesting things are happening. The Lions, I still think, are in the driver's seat in our division. And that's what matters in the regular season. We're going to go through growing pains. This team isn't perfect. And we knew that going into the season. And we knew there was going to be some growing pains, especially this defense sucked last year. And it sucks that we lost uh, Gardner Johnson for the year with the Peck and a few other guys hurt as well. That's going to be hard. But it's not season-ending stuff for the team, I don't think. Uh, Because this defense sucked and we were on the verge of making the playoffs last year. Even without some of these guys, this defense is still better. And I'm still high on that they're good enough partner with our very good offense to get the job done. So to answer Cody's original question, which is the real teller of how this season's going to go week one or week two, week one is the chiefs. We're not going to be a chiefs level team every week. So that's hard to say that's going to be what's going to happen, but just based on win and loss, I think week one is going to be more likely. I think we're going to see more wins than losses this year. I'm still high on this team. I think Seattle's good. And it's the NFL. Things like this happen. Uh, good teams lose in the NFL all the time. So this was a close loss. The Lions should have won it. It hurts. 
but it doesn't scare me away from this team yet. I'm still very high on them. I hate the position that I'm in right now because I don't want to be negative. I certainly don't want to defend the NFL. Um, <laughs> you know, I I just want to go on record. I do believe 100% the NFL has scripts. Not that they pass them out to players, but that they want the refs to know this is the way this is supposed to go. Um, you know, if you're trying to come at me with NFL being better than college football, that's all I have to say about that. You know what other sport has refs? WWE. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> point. Case in point. Thank you, Trav. Um, beautiful. Yeah, but in <laughs> WWE, you can but, attack the refs. <laughs> that's all we need. You just <laughs> fixed the NFL. <laughs> All you have to do is beat the living tar out of the ref once he makes a terrible call. He'll think twice about that. Is this paycheck really worth it? When you got... You don't oh, even man. have to do it dirty, quote-unquote. You do it longest yard style. Call a crossing route and just have Adam Sandler whip it through the middle and beam him a few times in a row. Or crossing route, do a pick play, but you're picking the ref in the middle. Wow. I'm excited about this. Not because <laughs> it'll ever happen, but you solved it. That, that's all that needs to happen. Um, that said, I don't think it really matters what the script said for week two's performance. One, because I don't think that the Seahawks or the Lions are quite on that tier yet where they are heavily involved in the script. I think you know that has more to do with the superstar teams. Uh, but also, I don't think it matters what the script is going to say if Gino has 16 seconds in the pocket and you have a hurt James Houston and you're able to basically triple team Hutch and you're not able to get anybody home and you're able to just march down the field and the defense has nothing they can do to stop it uh, because there's absolutely no pressure, nobody able to get home. And so it just sucks because... Like Brandon said, we have some really talented guys that we picked up in the draft. But if you're not going to use those picks to beef up the D-line or to invest in some longer-term options in the secondary, we got some great guys in the free agency, they're all in one-year deals. If you're not going to do that, you have to have Gibbs more involved in the offense. If you're not going to be able to squeeze the life out of a team on defense in the closing embers of a game, you better be able to put it out of the reach, out of reach of the other team in the earlier part of the game on account of your dynamite offense. But... This offense hasn't quite yet looked dynamite. Goff has looked good, uh, bar one or two costly mistakes, maybe mainly just one. Um, and that's one positive that I will say is that that's one big mistake after a huge streak of not having any interceptions. Um, so, like, I don't really hold that against him. It was bound to happen at some point. He really, really ended that streak with a bang. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ending the no-pick streak with a pick six, that hurts. And that completely flipped the entire outlook of that game. So I put a lot of it on that, not necessarily on golf, but just how it just didn't work out. But all that is just to say, defense wins you close games. And if you are going to have a very, very shallow defense, you're going to be not necessarily having the depth at positions that matter, like the D-line, then you're going to need to be much more explosive on offense. Gibbs is ready. I know he's young, but you have to get him involved. You've seen the talent that he's able to showcase, and now there's no David Montgomery. And so with no David Montgomery, he better be an absolute showcase of this offense. If not, what are we doing? And if not, we're going to find ourselves in a lot of games like that against the Seahawks where one little mistake could be all, it, all that needs 
to happen for the Lions to lose yet another heartbreaker. Here's another point of positivity. There are not many uh, NFL franchises and their fan bases that are super happy with where their team's at so far. Like, I'll run through a few that are historically good teams in the last few years that we expect to be really good this year. They're not quite that. Like, Buffalo, 1-1. One one. The Lions already beat the uh, Chiefs. Uh, Pittsburgh, 1-1. One one. The Bengals, are they even going to be good? They look atrocious so far. I'm sorry, Cody, to your fantasy teams with Joe Burrow. Yeah. Uh, Still on the trading block. The AFC South is a joke. <laughs> Jaguars aren't that good. Colts are a rookie quarterback. They're not going to be good. Titans suck. Houston sucks. That's your rookie quarterback. You really... <laughs> He's a rookie quarterback, and the team's not good. And they got a running back who's never going to play for them ever again. He was hinting <laughs> at a comeback. Did you guys see that? I don't even remember what he said. He posted an Instagram post of him working out in the Colts facilities. Something like soon or like ready to get back at it or something like that. It wasn't quite that. Yeah. On the nose, but I think he's coming back. He's coming back, but I don't know if it's going to be for the Colts. <laughs> uh, so, the Chargers, historically good team, 0-2. Denver Broncos, uh, they're just, they suck. These teams that have great fan bases are not in happy places. The happiest teams, probably, right now, Cowboys, I just don't believe that they're going to be the great... They're not a Super Bowl team, in my opinion. Everyone always thinks they are, and then they crap it away. Just just wait till playoff time. It won't matter. Eagles are awesome. Uh, and then the NFC North. It's the Lions to lose at this point. Green Bay looks pretty good. They're 1-1, one one, though, also. So things going to happen. Uh, there's not that many teams that are super happy with where they're at right now. It's There's a lot of parity in the NFL. And that sets up really good for it. If we're talking just Lions to make the playoffs, you know how happy we're going to be if the Lions just make the playoffs? I think we're going to be stoked. I can't wait for a Lions playoff game. I will be happy, but I won't be satisfied. Yeah. Because I, at the start of this season, yet. it was, I mean, I wanted to win the North. That that was the goal. But beyond that, that was more so the expectation. Looking at the talent on this roster, we have what what it takes to get it done. This has to be the year that we get it done. I want one playoff win. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, Everything else is gravy. And, like, I don't want to sound too spoiled here. If I get one playoff win from this team, like, I might go streaking. (laughs) I will be so, so excited. But winning the North, that is the expectation with this team. And so anything below that, that's going to be considered a failure. And the Lions have to win the division because getting a wild card, there are some very good teams in the NFC. Uh, San Francisco is the real deal. And they are always even more of a real deal come playoff time. And we know how it goes when the Lions play the Cowboys. I know the Lions are America's darling this year. And maybe the NFL script goes the Lions way. But I don't want to put that into the NFL's hands if it's the Lions versus Cowboys. Because we've lived that. I've lived through that playoff game before. And it sucked. So I we got to win the division. Uh, the NFC North has got to be won. If it's won, that next playoff game... It's going to be exciting. So I'm still optimistic. Yeah, and it's probably way too early to be having these types of takes, but that's kind of what makes it fun. Um, So speaking of under or overreactions, what do you guys think about Michigan so far? Michigan's had a few games under their belt, done with the non-conference schedule. 
looked pretty solid up through the first couple weeks and then kind of a struggle bus of a win against Bowling Green. Trav, what do you have? Can I take dibs on being negative this time? No. No. Oh, my gosh. Come on, guys. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you well, an optimistic um I'm, I'm going to be negative anyways. So Yeah, you, you go for it. it. Go for it. <laughs> me? Give me that flare. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the flare. Okay, I just want it right We're off the bat. We're waiting. Right. So <laughs> can I start negative and then go positive? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I tweeted this out, and I don't know if anyone saw it or they just didn't like it because it's negative. But this is the first time that Michigan has failed to score at least 40 points in a non-conference game since 2017. So that's really discouraging because this is a year where we are hoping to contend for the national championship. If you go back to 2017, that was the the first year where Harbaugh had a struggling team. Uh, That was a year where we, I believe, went 8-5, and I believe. And it was just, it was really rough. It was kind of like the first cracks in the foundation that really began to evidence themselves in 2020. So you don't want to be comparing a season that should be one of your best ever to one of your worst under Harbaugh. And that's what we're looking at right now. And this is not a murderer's row of non-conference. It's not like we played good teams. You should have been able to score 40 minimum every game they've played so far. Bowling Green is not the cream of the crop in the MAC, and even if they were, it's a MAC school. If you are playing with your eyes closed and one arm behind your back, you should be able to score fifty <laughs> on a MAC school. In fact, Michigan has been doing that in the past with, I would say, worse Michigan football teams. And so it is discouraging to to see whatever's going on there. I mean, there's a, a plethora of reasons why they're they're struggling, but. My flair for optimism, and maybe I can come back and complain a little bit more before, uh, you know, too long. But my flair of optimism is I don't know how much we can put into these three games when the head coach was sitting at home, because there's a lot of chaos with having all these interim coaches. Uh, we hear we heard of um, errors with substitutions. They're sending wrong players in at times. Uh, you don't know how much they're authorized to do offensively. Uh, it just, when Harbaugh's not there, you don't know if this is the fully operational Death Star. In fact, I would just say it's probably not. However, you did see some pretty discouraging things, especially uh, crop up in that Bowling Green game. So I would just say, while it's discouraging, you can't you can't really count it all the way as a, this is not going to be as good as we thought until we see it under Harbaugh. So we'll have a better feel in the next, I, I think, one to two weeks. You know, maybe Harbaugh has to ramp up. We'll see. But uh, I think this Rutgers game will tell us a lot. Uh, and then uh, maybe if it continues, we'll we'll start to really maybe raise the panic flag a little bit. But for now, I'm kind of holding my stock, holding steady. But I also just want to say I think it's 100% okay to be mad at an individual performance because you're investing your time in this team. I mean, on a Saturday night, like that's when a lot of time can be spent doing other more productive things. And you had to, uh, you know, for a lot of, some of these games are on Peacock, 
So if you stay, you know, you watch a game on Peacock, you have to get an additional subscription service. Or you go to the games like we do and you spend the gas money and the ticket money. You expect to be entertained, and it's not an entertaining brand of football. Uh, the last thing I'll say, I've seen a lot of people say that the players and the coaches are kind of sleepwalking through this schedule. And to that, I say bullcrap because playing in the big house in front of the largest crowd in America, especially under the lights, and they're debuting these new lights that are that are awesome, and you can't get up for that. A man can only have a handful of moments like that in their entire life, and you're like, well, you know, it's not – it's not Ohio State, it's not Michigan State, so why even bother? That is ridiculous. And if you are propagating that idea, I submit that you don't know ball or you haven't played ball. Because I can get up for a game playing at the YMCA. And if these guys aren't getting up for a game in the big house, then they don't love the game at all. And they're not meant to play at the University of Michigan or, or frankly, at many other universities. So I've seen so much of that from the fan base, like, trying to rationalize it like oh the players don't really care that much it's not a big deal it is a big deal because it's a privilege and it's an honor and you have the opportunity to entertain and encourage literally an entire state of people cheering you on so that's all i gotta say on that you guys take it away you go okay we preseason talked about how this feels like the greatest Michigan team ever uh, in our lives. Uh, I know we have a national championship team in our lives, um, but this team, the talent coming off of back-to-back-to-back Big Ten championships, back-to-back play uh, playoffs, and being seeing the improvements that we thought we'd see, that's been horse crap so far. Uh, I have no hopes of a national championship right now. I'm going to keep cheering for it. This team could. Uh, we sleepwalked into the Big Ten Championship two years ago, and the same thing happened. when we, we were all pissy when we beat Washington two years ago, and they ran the ball 110 million times uh, just because it was, it was boring, but it won the game. This team's still winning, uh, but they are not doing it pretty. They're not doing it in a way that you – we're seeing a lot of things that are very concerning. Mm-hmm. And to the Twitter softies – who are so complaining about anyone who rips on this team or is scared. You know what? We're watching football. We can see that there's things that aren't looking great. And it's okay to call that out. It doesn't mean you hate your team. Michigan is my favorite sports team of all sports teams ever. And I'm going to cheer my heart out. But when they beat Bowling Green in a crap way and look really bad, I'm going to talk about it. That doesn't mean I hate them. So Twitter, uh, I saw a lot of tweets where like we're seeing a a lot, we're weeding out a lot of pretty lame Michigan fans this week. No, we're not. Those Michigan fans are just ball knowers who would, are calling out crap when they see it. So get over it, those people. Uh, it's not going to be pretty all the time. And if you can't call that out, then I'm not. I don't agree with that. So everyone can have their opinion. I just strongly disagree with that one. Um, this team still has so much talent, but there's a lot of things I'm really nervous about. Uh, the run game is not dynamic, but we still got 
Donovan, we know what Donovan Edwards can do. We know how dynamic he can be. And his stats for the year are like non-existent. Yeah. Uh, Corum's getting his touchdowns. And if actually, if you compare his stats right now to last year's, very, very similar to this point in last year. Um, but again, we know what he's capable of. And if you just use your eyes and watch the game, you know it's not doesn't look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just ask you, Michigan fans, use your eyes and look at it. Does it look right? It doesn't quite look right. But as Brandon said, Jim Harbaugh hasn't been there, too. So that takes me back a bit. I truthfully think that these three games are the most preseason college football games we'll ever see in our lives. Because one... It's three teams that suck. We don't didn't have our coach for those games. We shuffled our coordinators around like crazy. Uh, and, you know, Michigan really was kind of phoning it in in the fourth quarter of most of these games anyways, putting in quarterbacks who weren't supposed to play, <laughs> like all these weird mistakes and stuff that hopefully we don't see when it comes to Big Ten time next week against Rutgers. Uh, Rutgers playing winning football right now. And if we do see these, Rutgers has a way of scaring Michigan in the big house. They've done it for quite a few years, so Michigan better figure these things out. Um, now i got to digress a little bit. This team still is very, very good. Um, but they've got to really show something because the world's watching. We The world still, AP, still has them at number two, and a little bit of that is kind of like in the NFL. Nobody's looking awesome this year. <laughs> Uh, there's some awesome players, but every program, even even Georgia was struggling against South Carolina. They figured it out, and Georgia does that every year a little bit, but they always figure it out. Now we want Michigan to do that. It's your time to figure it out. You've had your Georgia portion of practices. Well, let's put that into what we see from games day to day, even when you're not playing against Georgia. Be the Georgia. Figure it out in the regular season. Show us that you're figuring out and working through it. Uh, I believe in Jim Harbaugh, and I really hope that they'll continue to improve. But those first three games, I'm going to call them preseason games. And I think the season starts this Saturday. And so take all that anger you just heard from me and frustration, put it on a shelf, because I just ranted and raved about a preseason team. The Lions went 4-0 and into the preseason where they lost every single game. So... Preseason means nothing. These games or practice. The season starts this Saturday with Rutgers. And uh, we'll react from there. I will react from there. Yeah, sure. So uh, I I agree with a lot of what you're saying. The one thing with that preseason aspect is you're looking to build in the preseason to what you want to see in the regular season. And some of the things – there were some questions I had about the team – that I was hoping were going to be answered before what what you determined is the real season. So Big Ten play, we got Rutgers coming up. One thing that happened late in uh, in the game against Bowling Green was they replaced the left tackle. Uh, left tackle is Carson Barnhart, and all fall camp we heard that Carson Barnhart's so good. So he's so good that the transfer we took with the intention of playing at left tackle, he's going to be on the bench. And then the right tackle is another transfer we took, Miles Hinton, and he's been pretty terrible. And uh, they they took Carson Barnhart and put him at right tackle, 
and they put Ladarius Henderson at left tackle. Now that was for in the third quarter of the game, and <laughs> they asked Harbaugh about it, and he pretty much just declined to answer why they did that. He's like, I don't know if there was an injury. I don't know what they're doing. So he, he's playing that close to the chest. It tells me that they are not happy with the offensive line play, specifically the tackles. And you had three games to figure it out, and now you're still trying to figure it out. You could have – they talked all fall camp about the Michigan method. We're going to give this guy a start and then give this guy the start. They didn't do that. They didn't let Ladarius Henderson play. They only had Trent, uh, Carson Barnhart play because he was so good. Well, then he got beat for a sack, and, you know, Miles Hinton can't run block. So now they're trying new things, and they're going to continue to try new things into – Rutgers week so it just feels like a waste opportunity I think it's a part of the whole Harbaugh not being there to help them in game like hey this isn't working let's try something new so it is frustrating because you did have a preseason type of run up to the season and I feel like they didn't really make use of it Uh, you would have liked to have seen them find ways to get Donovan Edwards into a, a rhythm right now I honestly don't know will he be a big part of production producing on this team because he looks like a shell of himself. He looks like a ghost out there. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of things. There's there's a couple others that I was thinking about earlier, but I can't remember them right now because I had other things I was frustrated by. But uh, this is a really good team. It's a fantastic team. That's why there's concern. You want to see them mm-hmm. reach their potential because this is a team that 100% should be in contention for a national title. And Travis said, yeah, we, we did have a national title in our lifetime, but – I was four. I don't really remember it. Uh, <laughs> Cody was, well, I guess I was maybe five, because I think Cody would have been like one. Uh, I was not born. All right. So I was four then, and Travis was six. Maybe Trav remembers more than I do, but it doesn't really mean a lot to me. I really <laughs> didn't get into football until uh, John Navarre was quarterbacking. So <laughs> No, I was one. I don't know what I was thinking. So yeah, I can't complain. I was I was here. <laughs> Either way, it doesn't really. Yeah, Cody remembers it fondly. We are ready. We are ready for that yet. feeling <laughs> to really mean something to us, rather than to be children who really hadn't embraced the game yet. But anyways, I I don't mean to step on your nose, Cody. What do you want to say about this all? Yeah, I'm gonna say something maybe a little bit controversial. Yes. I am not concerned. Yes. And there are a couple reasons for that. Primary one being that. I learned a tough lesson in 2020. Uh, I I called for the resignation of one Jim Harbaugh. Hmm. And uh, what did he do but win back-to-back Big Ten titles? And so I learned, you know, maybe don't jump on the panic button quite so quickly when things aren't going super well. They were 2-4 and four that year, by the way, uh, that I was calling for his resignation. Um, that was a whole season. I thought, surely, they'd be able to figure it out. Didn't. But the one thing Harbaugh's been able to do is every time there is a new mountain placed in front of him, oh, Harbaugh can't do this. Oh, he can't be at Ohio State. He can't win the big. He can't get into the playoff. He's learned to do it. He's figured out how to do it. Whatever you want to say about Harbaugh, whether you feel like he's just a goof, you don't understand why he does any of what he does. When he talks about a wee fence, you want to slap him in the face. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care about any of that. What I do know is that Harbaugh knows ball. And he is very, very, very good at what he does. And so I've learned not to doubt him. And I don't want to say that you can't ever criticize. I'm with you guys. Those people on Twitter who 
will just jump down your throats about you need to be beating the drum of rah-rah. Everything's perfect. Everything's grand 100% of the time. You can't acknowledge weaknesses. That's garbage. I'm not saying that. But me personally, I think it's huge not having Harbaugh there on the sideline. I think there have been so many different miscommunications and errors that just wouldn't happen if we have our man in charge right there running the show. And like you had said earlier, Trav, there's a lot of really good teams who look kind of like crap right now or who have at least struggled a little bit. I'm talking Georgia. I'm talking Ohio State. There's many others. And sure, there may be valid reasons to that. Um, McCord's starting to come along. There's definitely a transition there. But still, this sort of thing can happen and you can still have a really, really good season out of it. I think back to both of Michigan's Big Ten title runs, we had several games that were nearly dropped to teams that Michigan has no business even being close to. I think of the Maryland game. Uh, Maryland was not a particularly strong team last year, and yet we almost dropped that at the beginning of the season. So I understand this is a Mac school. It's not the same as a Big Ten opponent. You want to blow them out of the water. It wasn't a great performance. I am not going to try and tell you that it was. But I think we're very fortunate that we do have these tune-up games uh, to get ready for the Big Ten season. I do think that these are issues that are going to be addressed. When you look at um, the run game, uh, broken down by plays, I'm really thankful for the different Twitter accounts that will do that, a little play-by-play analysis. You see a lot of just missed assignments, missed communications, stuff that does not look good stuff that can be fixed in practice. And I, I trust Jim and the coaching staff to get that figured out. The one thing that I have really liked about this preseason of sorts is that Jim said this is going to be a more balanced offense, and it has been. They have divided the pass and the run evenly, and that has been really Michigan's Achilles heel, um, thinking back to last year, not being able to actually throw the ball. J.J. looked really good actually against TCU, but we just expected him to be able to do that with no prior preparation. Now we're preparing for that. And even though this last game from JJ, I'm surprised none of you even said anything about it, looked really bad. It was a bad performance from him. And that's something that I think is a little bit discouraging, maybe important, so JJ can continue to have that dog mentality of wanting to fight for it and scrap for it and earn it because he realizes it's not going to come easily now and he's got to bring 110% every single time might be a little bit of a blessing in disguise. But I just want to say that I'm really thankful that we are in a place now where we're actually able to see a performance like that. And now we know they're going to be addressing that in practice. Whereas last year, up till the third week, JJ had maybe like 30 passing attempts. He had 50 passing attempts in the first two weeks this year. And so last year, it's a scenario where we're telling ourselves, man, I really hope they're even throwing the ball in practice. You know, is this something they're preparing for at all? Now we know this is a part of the game script, and we see that it was an issue this past week and is going to be addressed. So that's something I am really excited for. JJ had a bad week, but he's going to bounce back. He looked phenomenal through the first two weeks. And so I don't think that's enough for us to have knocked confidence in him. I think he's going to continue to be fantastic. He's going to bounce back from this. And I do think that, you know, using what we've learned from the first few games, we'll get the running struggles figured out as well. It's just going to take a little bit of time. I have two things for Cody before we move on. Uh, one is probably an unpopular opinion, but I want to tell you that I don't think you were wrong to call for Jim Harbaugh to be fired because that was his sixth season, and he had accomplished nothing at Michigan. So 
college football coaches do not get six seasons, especially at a blue blood program. So yes, it's great that he turned it around, but could he have lost a job there and been a hundred percent right to have lost his job? A hundred percent. Yes. So that's just, we're glad that it worked out, but I don't think that anyone who said Jim Harbaugh should be fired was wrong in 2020. We had six seasons of data that said he is not getting the job done and credit to him. He fired a lot of his staff, a lot of dead weight. Bye-bye, Don Brown. Thanks for nothing. Uh, (laughs) He got the guys in place that could actually coach to win against Ohio State and to win the Big Ten. Now they've got to take that next step. So that's what we're waiting for. The other thing about J.J. I do have pushback on that. Go ahead. Do you think that you say that coaches don't get six years at a Blue Blood program? Do you think that's the way that it is because that's the way that it is or that's because it should be the way that it is? Like, I guess phrased better, do you think that is more so just the expectation that we place on them uh, because we're impatient or because that's actually the most effective way to ensure success? Uh, That's a good question. I think that generally administrators are too impatient. But when I say that, I'm talking about coaches that get fired after like one to two, sometimes three years where six years you have had an entire recruiting class come and get graduated. And then two more years have gone past. So you've had time to get your guys. You've had time to revamp the culture and the entire roster. And you still didn't do anything of, of note. So that's where like patience runs out for anyone especially at a program like Michigan who has the most wins in college football history, who expects to compete against Ohio state. And they were, they weren't competing. They were getting beat and beaten badly. But yeah, I think that generally it should be uh, maybe a little more patience. That's fair. But your second point at Florida, people are going to fire him probably. And he might've saved his job by beating Tennessee. Like, (laughs) I think that's crazy because he just got there last year. Uh, that I think that's insanity. I think I'd give guys at least more than that. Nowadays, though, you can build your entire roster through the portal like Dion. so maybe the leashes get even shorter. The other thing I was going to say is I was concerned about the J.J. thing because we saw this last year where he would have games that he looked like one of the best quarterbacks in college football, and then he would turn into a pumpkin in other games. It's kind of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation with him, and I... I just don't know. Is that a product of him or a product of the coaching he's receiving? Um, It seemed to me like against Bowling Green, he was trying to force the ball to Cornelius Johnson. And clearly, you know, there's a a touchdown difference between Cornelius Johnson and Roman Wilson. They were going into the season as kind of dual number one receivers. And so I don't know, like, are they trying to make Cornelius feel better? That shouldn't be a part of football. Football is not about making every player feel good. It's about getting the ball into the end zone as much as possible. If one receiver can do that more, then he should receive more touchdowns. So if, if J.J. is feeling bad for him, that's not good. If the coach Again, has instructed him that, hey, let's hit Cornelius a little bit more because he's getting left out, that's not good. It's the uh, I think you said something like you know he's going to have that mentality that he has to have it every day. And I'm just like, how many times do we have to learn this lesson? Like, we overlooked TCU. Okay, we don't get to play for a championship now. I mean, you have to you have to bring it every day. That's just a given. So I was concerned, because um, especially just the, the 
transition. It wasn't like he had a a bad game. He had his worst game against one of the worst opponents he'll ever play. Uh, if you go into the PFF grades, it was in the 40s, which is just unbelievable when he's been in the 90s. It's it's night and day difference. I can't even wrap my mind around like, oh, he had an average game. No, he had a absolute but terrible game. It was just poop. Mountains of poop. On, on that front, I blame a little bit of that. Uh, it was a horrible game, so no excuses there. But it, I blame a lot of it on this, the preseason mentality that we're trying to force it to these guys to share the wealth, to keep them happy, maybe to keep them entertained. If we're not playing these garbage programs the first three weeks, we're going to be forced to just make the best play out there possible. We're not going to be put in these situations to just, oh, we got to get it to Cornelius because we haven't thrown it to him like at all this year. Hey, Colson Loveland is a great tight end. You're not really getting it to him much. Let's force it in there. Uh, Roman Wilson's open for a t- deep touchdown. You throw it to him. Yeah. I don't care if you, Cornelius isn't getting the ball. He'll get the ball if he's getting open. And obviously mm-hmm. he wasn't, and we tried to force it to him. I don't think we do that if we're playing one Big Ten schools. So, like I said, I, I'm excited that this portion of the season's over. And then uh, this mentality of just kind of working people into the season. You don't do that when you're just trying to win football. Like, against the last two uh, teams we played, they had scripts ready for which quarterbacks are going to go in. and said, well, we weren't planning on playing – Orgy was supposed to go in, and even during and before the Bowling Green game, they had a plan for Orgy to go in early. You don't do that against teams that you're just trying to beat. You you go out and play, and then when it gets when you actually are beating them, then you go, okay, we're gonna get this guy in. It's not something you talk about publicly. This team isn't like it's such a preseason mentality, and I'm so excited about that portion just being done. Um, and next year, I mean, we don't have to worry about it. With Texas early on the schedule, uh, we all have different worries at that point. Yeah. But Cody, I want to, th- I want to thank you for bringing your calming perspective to that because you, you, you said a lot of things that I really agreed with. Um, the frustrations I have of these first three games of what I've seen are, are real, but you're right as well that uh, it's really easy to overreact about what's to come. It's hard to predict in the sports world. And we do know this team is good. So we'll, we'll continue to see. Um, and I hope, sorry, that what we saw in this first three season, the, ga- these, the first three games uh, isn't a continuation. Brandon, you talked about the offensive line. That's my biggest concern of all. One thing I want to say is that, um, and something that I probably meant to more encapsulate when I was talking about just having that, that grit and tenacity for every game, um, that should be a given. But one thing that I think JJ struggles with a little bit in particular, I think he thinks he's invincible. I think JJ thinks that, um, you know, I think he's a really humble dude, but I also think that he thinks sometimes when he's feeling good, he literally can't make a mistake. And he can just fit the ball into the tiniest of needles and really do some reckless things. Um, man, I really am becoming Jim Harbaugh. Just run the ball! Three yards. We don't need to. The forward pass was a mistake. Um, you know, 
I, I I see that sometimes. Like you look at his interview after week two, and he just says, "Man, I feel amazing. Like I've my arms never felt better. I'm I'm hitting guys in stride. I just feel great." And then week three happens, and you know he has three picks. It gave me revenge tour vibes. Like they are riding so high. Like we're gonna take on the world. We're the better team going into this. Every time this Michigan team gets that kind of vibes going, you fall. It might just be as simple as pride goes before the fall. I want to see them continue that dog mentality you're talking about because every time I've seen it, Michigan falls, and I was starting to see that a little bit. With they're feeling good, I love that, but it it kind of doesn't jive with I think a winning mentality it takes to be that dog. There was one pick that was particularly disturbing uh, when JJ was rolling left out of the pocket. And uh, I can't remember even which receiver he was trying to find. Should have th- It was Loveland. Should have thrown it out of bounds. Um, didn't go out of bounds. JJ in the presser afterwards said he was trying to throw it out of bounds. I don't believe not, him. Not, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if that's something he just says to, you know, make it sound better. Like, yeah, I wouldn't be trying to hit him when he wasn't open like that. But if you can't even throw it out of bounds, like that's maybe even more concerning. Out of bounds mm-hmm. is the biggest it's receiver. The biggest receiver. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> so ocean. like. So I don't know. There's a chance that JJ takes that and just says, that won't happen again. I have a perfect arm. Um, But there's also the chance that that was maybe a bit of a humbling uh, performance for him. And hopefully he can just know he's got to be a bit more careful and he's got to be a bit more smart moving forward. I'm sure Harbaugh is going to be really in his ear about that because that's his whole thing. If he does whisper to quarterbacks, truly, that's what he's telling them. Don't you dare freaking throw this ball to the defense or I will put you, he won't put him on the bench. But that's what we saw in the early careers of every quarterback Harbaugh's ever really coached. Um, they'll look like an awesome gunslinger. And then by the time they spend more time with this Michigan team, they start overthrowing receivers and just trying to do everything they can to avoid throwing a pick instead of just focusing on throwing tutties. Uh, and so I think he's going to be in JJ's ear about this. I think it's going to get corrected. But you're right, Bran. It, it is a bit concerning because it has happened before. So I can't say with 100% certainty that it's all going to be in the rearview mirror, but I do think we have reason to be hopeful. So just the, the last thing I wanted to point out, you guys mentioned that uh, J.J. Snipes feels invincible. This is something I was hoping they were going to get ironed out in their preseason, quote-unquote. If J.J. happens to not be invincible and he takes a shot, and he has to exit the game for an injury or maybe just a series or two, the confidence in QB2 is at an all-time low. Alex Orgy has not thrown a pass in this preseason. Three games worth, he had opportunities to get this guy in the game, and he only comes in and runs the ball in a wildcat formation. You get Jaden Denegal in there against Bowling Green. He doesn't attempt to pass. He just hands the ball off. Uh, We got Davis... Warren, who is 0 for 3 with an interception. We have Jack Tuttle, who ran into the carts and hurt his shoulder. So who knows if he's going to be good to go. It's it's a comedy of errors when they're trying to prepare a quarterback to that. uh, Boy, you just wonder, like, what are you guys thinking? Like, why would you get a quarterback in there and you're trying to develop them? Do you think handing the ball off three times in a row is going to develop a quarterback? No, anyone can do that. So I'm disappointed in that. Hopefully we won't need a backup quarterback, but you're going to need one next year. So <laughs> might as well work on him. 
Uh, that's the last thing I just uh, that really bothered me the the usage of the second string quarterback. That's been one of the biggest fails, in my opinion. Um, despite the positivity I'm trying to bring to this, uh, that I hate that. Also, you want to talk about lack of depth on defense? Uh, you know, starting off talking with the Lions, the uh, the second team, or I guess it's probably more the third stringers for Michigan on defense have looked very bad. Real bad. Um, that, that, oh, I think that's one thing that gives me positivity is our first team defense still looks elite, and that's first great. First team defense looks great. But yeah, you uh, you take the starters off, and uh, these Mac schools they are having no problem moving up the field and getting into scoring position and putting up points. Um, Do you know so our, that is something our I definitely team don't love. Offense hasn't scored yet at all. Zero points, not even field goals. That's unheard of. You would think a second team offense of Michigan could like maybe beat these three teams if they played the whole game. I don't know if they could have. Because yeah, they've been rough. Yeah. How that's hard a, that's is a good it point. for a quarterback to earn the trust of this Michigan coaching staff? Because it took JJ until this point to earn the trust to throw the ball. And who knows? Maybe that's gone. He just now. lost it. <laughs> <laughs> and then what, every other quarterback who goes in, you're not allowed to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're not allowed to throw the ball, why the heck is Orgy not quarterback two then? Seriously. Orgy not. is so dynamic. He's a great runner. And if you need to air it long, he's got probably the strongest arm of the three. I don't it, – it wouldn't be Michigan football if we weren't talking about the backup quarterback position. So <laughs> JJ's made it even harder for the other quarterbacks to get any passing reps because they thought they could trust JJ. And then he <laughs> broke their heart. So now there's no shot any of those other hooligans are going to be able to throw the ball. I'm with you, Trav. I need to see more orgy. I am so upset that apparently he was scripted to get more play time, and uh, I think it was week two, and then he just there was a wrong substitution or whatever. It makes me so angry. Heart. Yeah, I know the hype train gets loud and people jump on and with not a ton of proof, but the orgy thing, like I know it's also spring ball, but he looked really good in the spring game, trucking people. He is the other quarterbacks have given us nothing to be super excited about. Uh, And even nationally, I saw a list of the top 10 best backup quarterbacks. You know who was number 10 on this list? Alex Orgy. Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, And that was before the season started. That was before the season started. That's probably riding the coattails of uh, Anthony Richardson and Joe Milton. And, yeah, these strong running quarterbacks with cannons. Uh, so uh, Orgy's not going to be at Michigan next year uh, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but you know what? I follow the guy on Instagram. He is an awesome teammate. Like every d- Saturday he is just hyping, reposting his teammates. When Denigal got in the week prior, like, and none of us knew why he was posting about Denigal. Like, Oh yeah, that's my boy. Uh, just, Hype that he was out there balling. Uh, seems like just a really good teammate. And uh, I want... Oh, uh, the other point that I forgot was preseason we are talking about... Oh, they are gonna they got schemes to get Orgy in the game. We might even see him returning kicks. <laughs> yeah, right. We well, got... Now we got Cleo Mullings. We got Thaw out there. This white guy who can't catch a... He Walk won't run on. up to catch a ball. Walk on... Uh, come on. 
I'm getting too feisty about a good team. Code, you did good about bringing it back. Yeah. We need to simmer so, down again. So, yeah, Let's that got to a pretty negative. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that got to a... Michigan State, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that got to a pretty negative place real quick. So, let's cheer <laughs> things up a bit and shift on over to what's going on with MSU. My influence um, is strong. No, that's it's not, it's not positive <laughs> in the slightest. Um, and, you know, I do believe that this concept um, was already talked about a little bit on Football Frenemies. If you guys haven't checked out that pod, or actually, I'm not sure if it's posted yet or not. You'll that be hearing about up. it soon. Okay, going up soon. Um, you know, thoughts on who MSU should look to next pertaining to um, their their next head football coach. We thought it'd be fun to take it a different direction and compare this entire, you know, this debacle, this Mel Tucker saga to a popular movie series. Um, so does anybody have a movie series that they would like to get us started with? I'll go ahead. Um, but first of all, I want to talk about how Mel Tucker is a piece of trash. Um, sure. That's always welcome here. <laughs> so I'm not going to talk necessarily about the um, act thereof, but I want to talk about some of the statements that Mel Tucker has put out. And one of his statements was that he was saying he was not getting fired for what has happened, but that the investigation was biased against him for his race or gender. Um, race, I can understand, you know, black coaches sometimes get a, the short stick with not getting hired as much, but he was already hired. But gender, my man, you are going to put forth that your gender played a role in your firing. Point me to any other head coach in college football who is a woman. How would your gender have anything to do with the bias against you in being a head coach? I just think this he I can't I cannot understand. If you go through his his statements, that's just like point D of a list of things you're like, you really really said that? Like you're you're going with that. Uh, my favorite part of that is that he says my race or my gender as if like he's just throwing stuff out there and just yes. hoping one of them will stick. Like I'm not really sure which one it is, but it's probably one of them. <laughs> and I if I was going to complain about this maybe I should have like gave it a a read before, but I've been trying to let go of the hatred in my heart, but man, the guy just has shown his true colors and I, it's weird, you know. I, you get that vibe from him from the get go, where he he says that he would not leave Colorado, and then Michigan State offers him more money, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna leave Colorado." Like he he had a stink to him. You thought something was off. The way he handled the tunnel gate last year, I thought was terrible. The guy doesn't take responsibility, and and now this. I just think he is a utter piece of human garbage, and I'm happy for Michigan State that they can move on. Um, but man, it's, it's rough this season. You saw what happened against Washington. It feels like almost a lost season now. And, uh, that's what happens when you, uh, make, you know, a God out of your coach and he thinks he can do no wrong and no one will tell him no, man, what a terrible situation that he has found himself in because of his own actions. I am going to compare the Mel Tucker tenure to the Hobbit series. The the reason I do that is you go back to the Hobbit, there was an appetite 
for more Lord of the Rings content. You go back to the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, it was just, well, you know, some of the greatest movies of all time. And for Michigan State, the Mark D'Antonio era was like the high days of Michigan State football. They were running the Big Ten for a minute there, and then it did fall off at the end. But when Mel Tucker came in, there was an appetite to see it revived. And then The Hobbit came along, and the first one was, you know, okay, but definitely not up to the standard. And that first Mel Tucker season, uh, they beat Michigan, but otherwise they were terrible. So people were, like, kind of okay with it and ready to see what was going to come next. But also it was like, uh, that was not, like, Lord of the Rings quality. Uh, so we get into season two, and we get into the desolation of Smaug. And, man, that movie was really good. I really enjoyed that movie. And Michigan State fans really enjoyed 2021 to beat Michigan when Michigan was undefeated. Kenneth Walker has a historic season to win the, I believe it was the Peach Bowl. Um, yeah, that's a, a fantastic season. Everyone's happy. And then the last two seasons, whatever this partial season you want to call, utter garbage. The Battle of Five Armies should never have been made in the state it was. One of my <laughs> least favorite movies because it's just so poorly made. And the last two seasons have been so poorly coached. And I guess now we could say so poorly handled uh, by Mel Tucker. And it's just a stain. The, I wish that the Battle of Armies, kind of like the Star Wars trilogy, the sequel trilogy, could just go away and not exist or be redone. Because I can't believe that such a great name, you know, like Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, is has that grossness attached to it. So Battle of Five Armies, you should feel bad. Mel Tucker, you should feel really bad because this is just embarrassing. You're embarrassing yourself. Just stop. Yeah, I think, like, so this is an awful kind of end to this whole saga. But one of my favorite things, I think, to come from it is that we really went from uh, Michigan State fans just defending Mel Tucker tooth and nail. He is our god. He can do no wrong to... Yeah, Kenny Walker made his whole career real quick. <laughs> real quick. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so now we're finally all on the same page, and we can just kind of acknowledge it like it is. Um, that has been really, really refreshing. Um, so I did think about The Hobbit brand. That's a good comparison. Uh, the direction I decided to go was the Thor series, or the mm. Thor-like uh, selection of movies. Um, I can't say trilogy. There's four of them. But... Going back to his time in Colorado, went five and seven. I think of the first Thor. Like, it was fine. You know, Thor had some swag. He had some some funny moments. Uh, made me like the character. I don't think the movie itself was anything to write home, home about. Uh, but Michigan State seemed to think it was because they offered him a contract. Said, hey, come coach for us. I said, okay. So... Now there's some hype going into the next Thor movie, this next Mel Tucker movie. And, uh, you know, he follows that up by winning two games in 2020 with um, the second Thor movie. What's it called? Brandon, help me out. <laughs> it's my World, comparison. Dark World. Dark World. Thank you. I forgot because it's the most forgettable movie maybe in like the entire Marvel saga. I like it. Um, Trav liked it. <laughs> um, nobody else liked Dark World. And... Um, I couldn't even tell you the premise. There's like a, there's a dark elf and there's a red ether. Um, and he and Loki have some sort of like buddy cop type of dynamic going for that movie, but nobody else liked it. 
it was awful. Um, and Mel Tucker really struggled that first season with MSU, but it was the COVID year. You know, it was his first year. Give it time. Let's give it some steam. Um, who knows what could happen? And then lo and behold, the patience pays off. Mel Tucker gets 11 wins and produces maybe the best Marvel. I'm not going to say the best Marvel movie. One of the best Marvel movies that has been made, Thor Ragnarok. Such, such a brilliant masterpiece of writing and acting. Everything about it. One of my favorite Marvel movies. Love Thor in it. I love Korg and Meek. All the characters. Uh, but then, you know, <laughs> what's up, guys? We're starting a revolution. You want to join? <laughs> um, love it so much. I could watch that movie time and time again. Mm-hmm. Sure, Michigan State fans could watch reruns of that season time and time again. But then you you think about it a little bit beyond the facts. You say, you know, Thor wasn't ever this good. Do I really, really love this character this much? Or is Taika Waititi just a genius and absolutely brought this to another level? Was Mel Tucker really that good? Or was it all Kenny Walker? And it's proven by the fact that the secondary, the his specialty as a coach, was absolutely atrocious. You start to wonder. And then you have one more season, and sure enough, Michigan State only gets five wins. Thor, Love, and Thunder, nothing to write home about. Um... I was very disappointed coming off the end of the 11 and two season. That was Ragnarok and you're just left a bit disappointed. You want more, you're expecting more and you realize, you know what? Maybe, uh, maybe this character wasn't all that I thought it was. And your Taika Waititi, Kenny Walker, um, you know, isn't the hero hero that you made him out to be because now when he's playing for the Seahawks, he says that he, uh, you know, played at uh, wake forest, not MSU. So he even disowns the program, um, and he couldn't make a good fourth, uh, fourth movie for. Um, I'm forgetting his name of my character. I'm stumbling over my words. Thor couldn't make a good fourth Thor movie. So, a lot of words in a long amount of time to say that I feel like the Mel Tucker saga was the Thor four movies. A hot take. I like it. I've got. Uh, well, first of all, I actually did like Thor one. And I didn't mind Thor two. I thought it was good enough. Okay. Um, Big. And then I loved Ragnarok. And I think that Thor: Love and Thunder should be on the Mount Rushmore of worst Marvel movies. So worse than the first two. Yes, by far. By far. Whoa. Whoa. I agree. Love and Thunder really, really angers me. Well, that might have to be a uh, Twitter or Discord question of what's the Mount Rushmore of worst Marvel movies. Yeah, I love that. Love and Thunder's on there for me. <laughs> it might be for me. I got to think about it, though. Trav, what's your movie comparison? Well, uh, I'm going just a little bit out of left field. I'm in, the, mo- I'm in the movie world. Um, but I'm going reality with movies, mm-hmm. and I'm taking this Mel Tucker era as the COVID era of cinema, <laughs> um, which is a risky thing to compare. But more more so, I'm talking financially uh, and kind of how it's going to look moving forward. So when COVID hit, movie theaters were hit so hard. Mm-hmm. No one was going to movies um and people thought is the are the theaters ever going to come back 
uh, these huge movie companies were now streaming movies to Max and Netflix. You could watch a premiere of a movie and, and stream it. And Disney people, Plus. And they were making a lot of money from it. And so people are wondering, are people ever going to go to the theater again? And honestly, it took till about this year, I think, for me to feel like theaters were kind of coming back. Like when we went and watched Oppenheimer, when with Barbie, with there's a lot of big movies that have come and people are filling theaters again. And it took about three years for that to happen. Uh, my concerns with this uh, Mel Tucker era is that it it was bad. It was not good um, era. So we're getting to the COVID of it, uh, where financially Mel Tucker is going to fight this, uh, not not to keep his job. He's not not going to be Michigan State's coach anymore. But financially, he's going to fight this. And you know you know who does not work fast? The legal system. Mm-mm. This is going to be tied up in the legal system for a long time. And Michigan State, there's a chance that it's going to be hanging over their head for a long time the rest of his contract. That's a lot of money to be hanging over uh, Michigan State because we know how hard it is to pay these guys. So we're going to go into the next few years a little concerned in Michigan State that they're going to be able to pay another coach. Um, They're not going to probably find a guy and pay him that amount of money, but they're going to have to find a diamond in the rough who's willing to – not make uh, elite program money because I don't think they're going to be able to uh, because of this legal process that's going to be hanging over them, just waiting to see if they got to pay him the the rest of his contract. Uh, So I think that's a possibility, but just like the COVID era of cinema, three years later, theaters were thriving again. So I guess I'm going to say that's my prediction 2026, maybe 2027, Michigan State is finally Michigan State again. It's going to take at least three years for this program to become relevant in the Big Ten again. So let's look back to this (laughs) podcast in three years, and Michigan State will be relevant again. Let me float something to you because I received a text during this podcast from our father. Maybe he texted you guys too. Oh, no. Yeah, I saw it. A screenshot of an article that says Michigan State's interested (laughs) in P.J. Fleck. First of all, do you think Fleck should consider that? And second of all, would he be able to get Michigan State on track sooner than your prediction? I think that's a risky move for Michigan State. One, I don't think – I think P.J. Fleck is safe uh, in regards to Michigan State's issues with, like, sexual issues going on and protection of individuals he's not an issue there but he does leave a wake of people kind of disgruntled uh within the program uh coaches staff whatnot i don't know what's true or whatnot pj fleck is intense and that makes sense that some people would be disgruntled about it and he probably brings in a lot of change i think that would be really big for michigan state to get him because you know he brings in a big mantra. He gets people hyped. Uh, he's struggling at Minnesota, but I think he could recruit better at Michigan State. He's mm-hmm. a good recruiter. Um, and Michigan State recruits well. Something that he just doesn't have at Minnesota. You can't get people to play up in the ice and snow when it's just that freaking cold. Nobody <laughs> wants to live in Minnesota. Um, 
I, I think it makes absolute sense. Sorry to hijack um, what you were saying there, but I, I couldn't agree more. I think he should make that move if it's offered. How unfortunately. much? You know what PJ Flex contract is at Minnesota? Less than what he'd get paid at Michigan State, for sure. Well, <laughs> yeah, he's he's probably getting. I would guess he's in the maybe four million a year. Oh yeah, Michigan State. This is my my ballpark. I can even look it up, but. with the issues overhead financially that this mess of Mel Tucker is going to cause, they can afford quite a bit more than that for PJ. That I hate that. <laughs> Just as a Michigan fan and a PJ. Also, oh, he's he's actually getting paid pretty good. He's uh yeah making six million a year. Still, yeah. Less than I remember. I remember looking at this like a couple years back and I don't remember even which job it was for people, but it was back when Matt Campbell was still a hot commodity. Um, And I, I mentioned to some people, why not PJ Fleck? And they would say, well, his buyout is too high. Actually wasn't even higher than Matt Campbell's. Um, So he would be pretty affordable. I would say, especially to an institution like Michigan state, who I think is more than willing to make a hire like that to try and put all of this awfulness in the rearview mirror as quick as possible. And I do think that is a guy who has proven he can turn around a program real quick. Did it with Western Michigan. He did it with Minnesota. But now we might be seeing potentially his ceiling with Minnesota because he's starting to struggle. You got to be able to get your guys. And so if he wants to still be able to salvage what hype he can leverage around his name, his brand. He absolutely should move to a new location, start over with a place where he can bring in the talent. And I worry about what they'd be able to build in there in East Lansing because I believe in uh, PJ Fleck, even though I know we have a lot of people who follow us that don't. Um, I would hate to see him coaching for East Lansing, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. If there's one reason to cheer for PJ Fleck to become the head coach of the Spartans, I can think of one poster in our discord, maybe the one listener who's still with us right now, who (laughs) this would elevate Michigan state to a previously unknown echelon of hatred. Uh uh, It would be a sight to see the levels of uh, just absolute distaste that we would see. So uh, Jerry, we, we hope this happens just for you. Although it kind of still would be disappointing because we are PJ Fleck guys. So it'd be a little bit hard to see him for our rivals, but it'll be interesting nonetheless to see it where this coaching search turns. But like you mentioned, we probably don't have many people still with us at this point. So I think this is as good a time as any to wrap things up. Unless you guys have any objections, feel free to cut me off. But for now, I want to bid you all adieu. This has been another episode of the Joining for Sports podcast. Again, please hit us up with some mailbag questions. Let us know who's or which shows or movies are in your Mount Rushmore of the worst Marvel productions to date. And we look forward to hearing what you have to say. And we also look forward to seeing you in the next one. So thanks again for joining us guys on another episode of the Joining for Sports podcast. Keep it real. We'll see you later.